and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks. I'm Lori LeBay, your host, and I am thrilled to talk to you today. We are actually going to be talking with the dementia darling, and uh, she is just a sweetheart and a half. I'll introduce you shortly, but on all of the ways that she supports families on their journey with dementia, before I introduce you to her, I just urge you to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. We have a ton of free educational resources. In fact, we have one section just specific for that. We also have a book tab. If you're looking at how to talk about this conversation of care, we have a great book called Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care. It's written as a children's book. It's illustrated beautifully but people of all ages and in all stages um, who are dealing with some form of dementia have really liked this. You can actually use it for bullying and death and divorce, um, really anytime you feel like you don't fit in. And then, of course, I want to direct you to check out Dementia Map. Dementia Map is our global resource directory that not only has 150 different categories you can search, but it has wonderful articles, terms, and a calendar of events, and a shop as well that we've just uh, started that's actually in beta testing. So you can go to DementiaMap.com for that. Let's go ahead and introduce you to our guest, Carrie. Carrie, I'm so excited to have you on the show. We've talked about doing this for quite a while, and it's just nice to talk um, in person here. So one, thank you for squeezing us in in your busy schedule. Really, thank really you. appreciate it. Yes. Um, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I mean, it's Lori LeBay. This is Alzheimer's Speaks. This is this is a big one. So I'm really excited to be here and uh, to be able to speak to you and, and your community. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to have you introduce yourself to yeah. um, one of the things I know that they're going to get from you immediately. I mean, it's like, can't miss it is your bubbling excitement and enthusiasm <laughs> for the work that you do. Yes, yes. And thank you for noticing. Um, it's definitely uh, really special when you meet other people that are super passionate about this industry like yourself, because um, we are a little rare, but it, we're finding more of us. So it's exciting. But um, yeah, my name is Carrie Alberts. I go by the social media persona of Dementia Darling. And I've been doing that for the last almost four years. Um, but I have been in the senior living care industry, adult daycare, um, and assisted living memory care for the last decade. And this is my heart. Um, truly, my life's work and passion is to support the dementia care community. And um, I try to do that through Dementia Darling and sharing resources, community, everything I can, um, encouragement, and then also um, having the ability to do that with a company called Eugeria. So I'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I have a wonderful job in this incredible industry that we're in and the dementia community at large. Yeah. 
Well, wonderful. I appreciate so much all you do and that you are out there sharing it. I think through storytelling and, and getting people comfortable, you know, having this conversation is just huge in terms of shifting our care culture. So thank you for all you do. My um, pleasure. I want to ask, have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? Absolutely. This this started um, earlier in my life, for sure. Um, my grandmother actually passed away when I was 13 years old from dementia. And my dad was her primary family caregiver. And I watched that process. Obviously, I was very young. So I was like looking at it like, what the heck is going on? I had no idea. And we didn't talk about what was happening because I don't think my parents really knew either at the time. But um my dad, you know, is a lawyer, he's a smart guy. And, and he still had all these challenges navigating this really difficult system and process and what to do and, you know, who to talk to and how to go through that. And so I think that always really stuck with me. And, and um, I dedicate my career to my grandmother and my father for their, for what they've done. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, my great aunt uh, had dementia when I was 13. And that was a crossroads for me. That was, uh, they didn't call it dementia back then. I mean, that was like 50 years ago for me. Um, You know, they called it hardening of the arteries. She's just getting old. You name any name to not say dementia or Alzheimer's. And and that's what was chosen. Um, But I'll never, ever forget the day that she didn't recognize me. And yet she recognized my brother, who my mom had to bring to the nursing home, you know, scratch and kicking and screaming because he didn't really want anything to do with her at all. And I was just so devastated and, and hurt that she remembered Scott. Yeah. It was like, what the heck? He doesn't even care about you. And I love you so deeply. And for two weeks, that really threw me for a loop. And I remember crying and, and saying out loud one time, I don't want anyone to ever feel this way. And so no. it's kind of interesting that I'm in this, you know, and then my mom went on to, to get dementia and um, yeah. touched by a lot of people through work and acquaintances and things and uh, family members and friends as well. So um, yeah, wow. it's a powerful thing. I had one friend who told me to go back every five years in your life, starting from zero and write down what is the most important thing that you remember the most important person And when I did that, it makes total sense why I'm doing what I'm doing, which I thought was fascinating. So I I like bringing that up once in a while um, because I think it's interesting for people to do. But let's get get back to you. Why did you create Dementia Darlings? A lot of times there's a there's a kickoff point, something that just kind of pushes you forward and goes, okay, stop ignoring this. This is what you're supposed to do. Yes, you get to a point where you're like, I can't sit by in just my little world anymore. I need to do a little bit more. I need to get out of this. You know, like I knew I was doing, so let me back up. Uh, about four years ago, almost in October, it'll be four years since I started Dementia Darling. I was at an adult daycare center as the director and I was just learning a lot, but mostly what I was learning. And I already knew this from my past jobs. When you're an activity director at memory care, you kind of become a therapist. You're the friends with everyone, right? And you get to know the families. And so through that experience, and then it really exploded for me in my mind when I was the director of this adult daycare center, which was a nonprofit. And, you know, these family caregivers would come in for tours, you know, when it was finally time to use adult daycare. And when they would just collapse in your arms, when you were the first one to hug them and say, this sucks. Mm -hmm. And you're doing a really good job. And they're like, what? No 
one's ever said that to me. And, you know, no one's ever even looked at me and, and said, I'm a caregiver, you know, and I, you know, they're doing this for years and they're isolated and they're so alone and they're so scared. And when they would come to me, you know, they're at the end of their rope. And I was like, how can I be there for more dementia caregivers outside of just this little building I'm in and be that person to hug these people, at least virtually and say, you're not alone. This does suck. Thank you for stepping up. Thank you for doing the hardest job on earth. So I was like, how can I reach people and how can I do this and make sure that family caregivers don't ever feel alone? And that's really the mission of Dementia Darling is to end isolation for the dementia community at large. But for these caregivers, they're dealing with the hardest job on earth. And then on top of it, let's make you feel super alone. Like, no. And so um, Instagram felt really safe to me. And it was crazy. I was like hanging out and I was like, just like looking around. And I thought, huh. I really like this name, Dementia Darling. That sounds cute. And I just kind of went with it. And the next day I like started a thing and it was just, it went from there and it was really exciting. And um, I just learned so much from the the family caregivers. And so that's what keeps me going is wanting to support them and just making sure I can reach as many as I can so they can build community and we can be here in this together. Wonderful. You know, it's, it's interesting because your title is it's just comforting. It doesn't sound scary. It mm. sounds kind of fun. And it just is non-threatening. And I think that's, it Thank makes you. a huge, huge difference. Plus, I mean, look at your background, good vibes, be happy. You know, you have the rainbow lit up the whole night. We got to try. We got to try. I have my newest here. It says, love your future self by age friendly vibes. And I love those. I, I, her whole line is so fun, but I'm loving that one now too. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think people, you know, like when you were even talking about the family and um, just giving them a hug and telling them what a great job and identifying what the job was, because people do feel isolated and it's really not talked about. And when it is, then it's expected that you're going to do that role. Yet most people don't even know what defines that role. It's just because they don't want to have anything to do with it. You handle it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's in your court. What are some of the typical issues that you see family caregivers facing? One of, I mean, of course, isolation, as we talked about, is like number one, finding community and finding the right community, right? Because you can show up to support groups and you just don't see yourself in anyone else and that can deter you. You know, we need more options for people. So that's definitely a barrier and something that they're dealing with. But I think more than anything is lack of education and knowing where to go, the resources, because their doctors don't even know what to tell them. They're kind of like, here's a diagnosis. If they're lucky, they get a diagnosis. And then they're like, good luck. Cause I don't know either the doctor, like seriously, unless they get a really wonderful geriatric specialist or something. But, um, the one that is the hardest for me to, to help with, because there's not much to say, but good luck <laughs> is the financial stuff. And it breaks my heart into a million pieces because I don't know how to respond when someone asks, how do I do this financially? Because I don't know how people do it. It's, it doesn't make sense to me how in our country, how the systems work, like how people afford to be caregivers and to keep someone sustaining someone and, and maybe in needing, you know, um, any type of quality care is really expensive. So I think that's one of the biggest issues that I'm always trying to seek 
any support I can on. So I'm always looking for grants or anything for these caregivers to get um, what they deserve and they deserve to be paid. So I think that's one of the biggest issues at large, because if you are always worried about money, how can you give the the care you need. I mean, you're always going to be stressed. You're always going to be worried. It's just, there's so many things that um, kind of spiral when that's the issue as well. But that's, I think, one of the biggest things that um, people are facing. Yeah. I can't remember if it was in Japan or China I, when I interviewed someone, and I apologize for not remembering, but their workers, the young workers support the older population for care. And that's how they fund it. And so they were saying, and again, it's not perfect over there. They'll be the first to say we have issues all over, but I don't think anyone's found a good way. And, and when a family gets hit, especially with young onset, I mean, the doors are more closed for them. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And yet we know when there's stress, you can't care as well. And we also know that the person with dementia can feel that stress no matter what level they're at, they're still reading our nonverbals. And so then that increases their symptoms, you know, because they're stressed. So it's just that revolving, revolving door. I, I um, know there are some communities and organizations that are trying to give out free respite and they're like, we're thrilled oh. to do it, but but it's 40 hours or 60 hours out of a year, yeah. you know, or it's three hours. I mean, and I, I don't want to belittle any of it because it no. all helps, Yeah, but we're just not at a point where it helps enough, but it's um, showing us a path, Absolutely. Uh, but, but that's got more difficult too. Even if families can afford it, there's not, there's not enough um, adult day. Um, so many of them went out of business during, during COVID and haven't bounced back. Yeah. Or, or they have shorter hours. And what I'm hearing from families now is it's not worth all of the work to get them up and ready and out to drop them off. For me to leave. I can't even go get my hair done. You know, I'm driving around the block or, or I might be able to get a quick lunch and then I have to go back and pick them up. So they say it adds, it's adding more stress because the time constraints are smaller. Um, but again, it, it all gets back down to that. A lot of it to, to staffing. And funding <sighs> that, being able to pull that in. But I, I really want to talk, um, you had mentioned the isolation and you had talked about support groups and finding the right ones. I've yeah. always found those fascinating because I think not only is it the family in terms of how they view the groups, mm-hmm. but also the group leaders and how they view their peeps. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and so I don't know if you've run across this and it's much improved, but when I first brought over the, the memory cafes back in like 2011, yeah. we had uh, other groups wouldn't refer people to us because they were their people. And I'm oh. like, nobody owns them. People have more than one way to go. And so it took us a year of referring people out Mm -hmm. to different groups where they felt safe, but we seem to have this kind of ownership mentality. And, you know, I just think we need more of them. So, I mean, I help people start up new ones and they're like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, because it's closer to their house. It's going to make their lives better. Why wouldn't I? And they'll be able to pull more people in. I I don't have to do all of it myself, you know, but I think there's that mentality sometimes on the facilitator side, Mm -hmm. they don't always give permission. I think it's, I think since 2011 to now it's changed a lot, but I still see that out there. Do you see that with, with uh, groups as well? Kind of like, 
gatekeeping, like they keep them to themselves. I, um, I think I've just seen, I haven't really noticed that at least in, in our little world that I've been in, but I have noticed that, you know, either I have kind of two things. I see a caregiver that's included in multiple groups because they want to be. And they're like, I I get a lot out of this group. I get a lot of this group. So I'm going to go to a few and they do all of them. And it's wonderful. And they learn from all of them differently. And then I have on the other hand, where I think a lot of people just find their one place and they're just kind of devoted to that because they don't have much more time to leave or look elsewhere. And so if they, even if they don't necessarily feel like it's the right fit, they might think that it's their only option and they feel stuck, which I think can often happen. Um, But some of like my favorite communities, I feel like for support groups are very inclusive and uh, share a lot with outside groups and bring people together, Um, specifically like HFC, Hilarity for Charity. They do such incredible support groups that are like specific to different people. And, um, And so I just think that's really special to be able to find those, but they're few and far between. That's one of like three that I know of that are very specific. But yeah, I think that, you know, like anything, people will get kind of territorial and they're like, like you said, these are my people I've been, you know, devoted to them, but we need to be open to um, everyone's ideas and learning from different groups and caregivers and finding our people because you're not just going to find them unless you're really lucky in the first spot, you know? Yep. No, I, I totally agree. And I also, and I, and I appreciate you bringing up some people are comfortable with just one group because many are. But yeah. men want more than just yeah. one, but they, I, I, I mean, I've actually had them tell me that they've been, um, I don't want to say punished, but kind of ridiculed if they go to another group, like well, you're, you're our group type thing. And so, you know, if you're a facilitator out there, lighten up, let them yeah. get the support they need, and they will bring people back into your group too, because they're yes. one of the best advertisers of what your group offers. And, and so I think that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, just they, that's not support. Yeah. I mean, I you want people to flourish. You want people to to learn other things and bring it back to your group. I don't see why anyone would want that. That's yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's frustrating. But I get it. Yeah, I, I'm sure it happens. And <sighs> I think there's all different kinds of groups. I mean, now that you yeah. we meet in person, we meet online. Um, there are groups that are just Facebook groups where they yeah. don't, you know, you're not Zooming and you're just... Um, you know, writing back and forth or private messaging. Mm -hmm. And and I know initially people were very fearful of those groups, thinking someone, you know, some scammer was going to get a hold of somebody. And I'm sure they're out there because they're everywhere. But those groups are so powerful for so many. Amazing. Amazing. And because you can, that's why I love social media too, is you can find people that you can truly relate to. You like find your people when you, you know, put yourself out there and it can be scary, but, um, I agree. I mean, there's just such a beautiful side to social media and being able to connect when we're able to, and when it's, you know, um, and be able to, you know, do it at our own pace and choose where we feel like we belong. And I mean, there's just so many options out there, but unfortunately we have to look, we mm-hmm. have to really find it. Cause, um, it's not a known thing. I mean, like yeah. we said earlier, like a lot of people don't even know what caregiver is or if they are one. And so it's like, how would they know to look up a Facebook caregiver group? Um, just so many people feel alone. So I think, yeah, finding other ways to, um, share the social media, the really accessible things out there, but also, um, yeah, anything in your community. That's why it's so important to always be, 
I think it's very important, and I know it's hard for people, but to in your daily life, speak about your caregiving experience that you are, you know, handling dementia in the family, because you never know. The person you talk to every day on, you know, the walk to your mailbox might be literally living the same life next door. So it's like you need to talk to each other and find community in everyday life. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Oh, I agree. And I would encourage people, if you've got a a um a support group you know add it to dementia map we don't add yeah in there everyone has to do that so if you're a member let your facilitator know that they should be added in there there's no cost to doing that but we've got to make it easier for people to find these things and you know going to facebook yes. and just putting in searching the word dementia or alzheimer's or lewy body will pull up some of these groups for you to be able to find and don't feel like you have to stick with anything if it's not fitting you. Many people say they just go in on these groups and they're just voyeurs. Sometimes two years, they just, they don't want to speak. They just want to hear the conversation and they're learning that way. And then when they're ready, they step in. And so there's no right or wrong way to get your support. No, absolutely. And I'm always um, really trying to encourage, you know, my followers on my page in the comments, look through comments. And if you see someone that commented that you relate with, message them. Don't be scared to message each other. Like the truly the worst thing that could happen, they don't say anything back. Or they're like, sorry, not interested in being friends. It happens, whatever. But a lot of caregivers do want to connect. And I think they're too nervous to take the plunge. So it's like, just comb through some like, um, you know, go through hashtags, find different um, posts that you relate with, and then look at who commented and say, girl, I'm going through the same thing. Like, how do you deal with this? Like, do you like just reach out to each other? Because I think that's really powerful. And I've seen a lot of people do it. And it's, it's awesome. And they become really good friends and they can support each other. Wonderful. What are some of your favorite resources out there for you mentioned hilarity for charity? Yes, Seth Rogen and and Lauren's group, which is absolutely fabulous. What other They're ones? They're so like? great. Um, so one of my favorite groups is Dementia Care Blazers. Have you heard of them? Yep. Yeah. Okay, good. You have to. Okay, good. Yeah. Dr. Natalie Edmonds is just one of my favorite people. Um, she's an incredible doctor and she is sharing true gold. <laughs> like, you know, her, she's just invaluable as a resource. So checking her out on um, YouTube, being part of her group, uh, her support groups, but you can just, you can learn so much from her. So she's one of my favorites. Um, and then I just, I really like to also point this out because I think a lot of people, myself included for a long time, thought it wasn't for me. I'm, I haven't made it to this age yet, but ARP mm-hmm. is so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like the caregiving section on AARP, I'm really excited about. Um, and there's like a map and you can choose where you are and see what's available to you. And it's just a great place to start. So I think AARP is a wonderful place um, to find maybe virtual or um, in-person in your community support groups. So that's another one for sure. But, you know, I'm going to just always go back to social media. So finding your place because there's multiple um, amazing pages like Dementia Care Blazers, because I found her originally on Instagram, where you can find um, different uh, amazing digital creators that have their own groups because I have too many to count. And you can kind of find who works for you. There's speech language pathologists that have groups. Um, there's, you know, different therapists and just different ways to look at it and um, maybe where you are in your journey as well, who kind of fits with you. So I, again, recommend um, looking up on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, dementia or a specific type of dementia you're dealing with and you will find a plethora of professionals that have their own groups and there there might be smaller groups um so you would have more time to connect really and so um just looking them up because there's a, a bunch and I can send more but dementia care blazers is the one I really wanted to shout out today okay well I'll just add on like Tifa Snow has wonderful stuff she's all over the place Naomi File who started I mean she was really the 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 trailblazer mm-hmm. when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia way back in the day. She actually grew up in a nursing home. I mean, that was her, her wow. environment and stuff. So I had the opportunity to, to interview her and it was just fascinating uh, what she took away from that experience and what she's done. But yeah, there's, there's too many to name out there and there's more and more coming all the time. So don't ever feel like you're alone, you know, no. in process. And I do want to say one more because it means the world to me. It's a, more of a fun little break, but it's a support group, I, I say. Um, but there's two caregivers on um, social media, Life with Grams, my friend Chris, and Miss It Already, my friend Jessica. And they do a caregiver dance party for 10 minutes every Wednesday and Friday online. And so on Zoom, we come on. You don't have to put your camera on if you don't want to. They put on music and we dance our butts off for 10 minutes and we get out our stress, we get out our aggression, and then we support each other for a little bit after if, if needed and talk. Um, it is the best. I'm like sweating profusely after it's like a Friday night and I love to do it after work with them. And we're all over the country, even some people outside of our country. And it's just really special what they've created. Uh, they've been doing it for over half a year now. I think they just made merch. I have a hat, like they're killing it. So I highly recommend uh, joining that. And it, I will share it again on my page. Um, if you come to Dementia Darling, I'll share it with you, Lori. Uh, but yeah, my two friends started that and I just love them for that. Oh, very cool. There's, <laughs> I'll also throw a plug out for um, Dr. Ann Kenny. She, um, she is an actual doctor as well. And she has together in Dimension, she does some really, really neat stuff there. <laughs> Um, the life with grams. I've heard about that. I've never participated, but it just Love sounds her. like, a, like you said, it's a nice way to get together with others, to be able to be silly, to yeah. exercise and um, just kind of get out that stress that sometimes we don't even realize we're packing in there. Oh, is, yes. So, so important on that. Well, if anyone is just tuning in, we are talking with Carrie Alberts, and she is the dementia darling. You can't miss her on social (laughs) media. She is out there. So make sure that you follow her. Uh, She has been talking about 
isolation and support groups. And we just reviewed a bunch of resources. So if you just hop on now, reel on back, listen to the whole thing. And um, you, you can always go and visit her site, Dementia Darlings, or again, follow her on Instagram. Um, next, we are going to be talking about Eugeria, um, which is a company that she works with as well. Um, but before, um, before actually I go to that, mm -hmm. I would like um, to have you talk about maybe some core tips that you yeah. have um, for people who are dealing with dementia. Um, I think that would be really helpful if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Then we'll get to you, Jeria. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, my... I, I go through phases where I like have a favorite tip that I'm like obsessed with <laughs> and I'm like, this is my favorite. But right now I'm in um, the last couple of months, I've been in this like very intense zone of making sure people are very aware, meet your people in their timeline, mm -hmm. meet them in their reality. It is not ours anymore. And we have to be detectives and, and find this. And I know a lot of us feel know this already, but for example, specifically, calling people by a certain name. So if you are taking care of your mother and all of a sudden she is not responding to mom, uh, we might want to, you know, talk to her and figure out maybe, maybe she is in a time period where she wasn't a mom yet. Mm -hmm. So she's not recognizing that as her. So maybe we need to start using her first name or a nickname or something when we can figure out where she's at, because if, um, you know, we can see what she responds to. And in, on the flip side of that, if she's calling you her mother, when you're her daughter, we can kind of gauge she's at a younger age where she maybe lived at home still. Um, and you can be this detective and find out. And what I like to say in this, because this can be really difficult, right? I mean, this, all of it is, but when your mom and is calling you her mom and you know your her, your grandma all of a sudden that is very very you know shocking and it takes you aback a little bit but what i like to share in that is i want you to spin it and look at it in the perspective that your mom is looking still at you as someone she loves so much she feels safe with you you're her mom you're her nurturer so we can look at it as a, a, a beautiful thing still in this, of course, progression of this disease. It's terrible that she, you know, she doesn't know who you are in that sense in that moment, but she sees you as someone she loves. And this is someone she needs to be near and she feels safe with you. So take that as a beautiful responsibility as well. And that, and play into that because you're not going to change her mind. You're in their, your real, in her reality. That's what you are now, at least in that moment in time, it could go back. We know dementia is very different, but for everyone, but yeah. So just kind of switching the perspective that, you know, these really difficult transitions in, in, in their timeline, we can get creative and we can meet them where they're at. And we just have to kind of change our perception as to how that is going to work. But um, I know that's really hard on our hearts. I, I think that that's a really good one, though, because we do have to teach people that this isn't personal. I'll never forget a, a man who was like my grandpa to me. We, we would go up to the lake and uh, there was a man by the name of Al or Alan. And that's what he went by all his life. And he ended up having dementia, ended up in a memory care. And I went up to visit him and they were all calling him Albert because that was his legal name. And I went in and I talked to him. I'm like, that's not how he knows himself at all. Mm -hmm. Even when he was a little boy, 
it was it was Al or Alan. It was mm-hmm. never Albert. And they would not change that. I mean, I even talked to the director and everything. And I was just like, oh, it saddened me so much. But I did everything that I could and and stuff and stayed with them. <clears throat> the other example that I'll give, because again, anybody can fall into this. It doesn't just have to be the family, but typically the family gets wrapped into the loss of because we've been trained for so long. They don't know who you are. You know, this is going to happen. That's what we're, that's what we've been trained. And so they go into the grief mode and Mm -hmm. we make it all about ourselves and how this situation is making us in. And sometimes we'll look at it as a behavioral change. And I always tell people, you know, toss the word behavior out because really it is a reaction or a clue. And we do have to put on that little detective hat um, and figure out what it is. They're just telling us either where they're at or that they're not comfortable with something when those types of things happen. And my mom used to, um, she lived in a nursing home for 14 years and she got there in a weird way. She actually wanted to move in there because uh, my dad ended up there. And, and I'll just give you a little background because I think it's an interesting story. Many of my listeners have heard this, but I, but I think it's powerful again, that don't ever think that they aren't connected to you because you don't know when it's going to show up. So my mom was in kind of her, her mid mid to late stages, uh, she really couldn't do a lot of her grooming and things like that herself. But she was still very social. And she woke up clear as a day one morning and said she was living with us. That was the plan if anything happened to dad, and um, said, I want to move into the nursing home. And me, a professional who knows better, where did I go down the rabbit hole? Aren't you happy living with us? What can we do to make you happy? You know, it was all about us. It wasn't about her. And she looked at me square in the eye with just her eyes were just glistening. And she said, oh, honey, I love it here. She says, but, you know, I've been with dad 49 and a half years and I don't want to leave him now. And how she remembered that was a amazing. amazing. And so, you know, we made that wish come true. She moved into the nursing home. Um, My dad passed a few months later. Um, and again, sometimes you have to stand up and say what you know best about your person. Like they were going to put my mom in my dad's room. That would just, and, and that's kind of the normal thing, you know, that people would think. And I'm like, no, she doesn't have to watch him die. We're going to no. lose both of them. Yeah. I want her on the highest functioning floor. I want her to have one meal and one activity every single day. So she's acclimated when he passes. And I think because we did that. Um, she lived 14 years there. She felt at home, you know, and, um, and so, but as the disease progressed, uh, we were at the nursing home one day with my, my older brother. And as we're walking in, my mom's with all her friends and they're kind of cackling and laughing. And um, my mom sees me coming and she, and she would do this every time. And there's my mother and she takes such good care of me. And my brother instantly was triggered by that. And, and then there, there was one little lady who wasn't part of the clique. She was just better. She saw herself kind of as better than every, everyone else. And, and every single time she would yell back at my mom, Dorothy, that's not your mother. That's your daughter, you know? And then my mom would yell back, I got Alzheimer's and her group would just laugh. And the little lady oh my would, gosh. Get, would get so mad. 
And my brother's like, doesn't that tick you off? She calls me Chuck. And Chuck was my mom's brother. And I said, Mark, you got to realize she's gone back in time before she had kids, before she was married. And she always loved her brother. I said, you know, look, look in the mirror. You look like Uncle Chuck when he was younger. That's a compliment. And, And he's like, but you don't look anything like grandma. Why would she call you grandma? I said, Mark, the way I look at this is you're forgetting mom and grandma were not close. You know, my mom's dad had a massive heart attack when she was like 15 Hmm. and her mother kind of had a nervous breakdown and she went out and kind of traveled the world and she left my mom home alone. Um, And so my mom always kind of had some abandonment issues and, and things, and they weren't overly close. And Mark's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? I said, Mark, somehow during my caring role with her and her for me, that's been healed. And now she is saying, and there's my mother, she takes such good care of me. What an honor to be picked. How amazing. I know. And so again, we have to, you know, as much as I tell people, you know, don't get in your head too much. Sometimes we have to look at the bigger picture, like you said, get the detective hat on and where is it coming from? Because it is so critically important. And to me, that changes everything kind of when people are being shadowed and they stop and somebody, boom, they they walk right into them and they get really agitated and frustrated. And I always tell people, you know, this is a huge compliment that they want to be this close to you. I mean, think about it when you're a little kid and you have your blankie or your favorite stuffed animal, it gives you comfort. You have become that for them. And, you know, when I could, when I could switch from, boy, you're irritating me and you're in my personal space to gosh, how lucky am I to be able to give somebody that comfort? And I'm not even doing anything. Yes. You're their safe space. Yeah. What an honor. Yeah, it it's so again, you know, changing those perspectives are huge. So I, I love that, that core dementia tip. I think it's, it's so valuable. And and it's easy to find these other beliefs and perceptions, Mm -hmm. but you're only going to find them if you're looking for them. So if you're, if you're closed off, it's not going to happen. No, and, and I get it. Like, it's, it's, it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. I get it. But I think as I've, as I've been working through my mental health journey, as I'm, as I'm, you know, getting older in my life, I'm just really learning about the power of pers- perspective mm-hmm. and shifting and being grateful and looking at what is still there and not what yeah. has been taken. And yeah. I know, I know this is not easy looking at your spouse, looking at your parent. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's something that you have to consciously choose and work on and mm-hmm. it can change the game for the better. Like well, it can just change it. Yeah. Well, and life is all about adaption. It's not like yes. you had to adapt before this hit. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the game in life, but the, the big, I guess the key element to kind of feel like you're winning the game or at least surviving the game of life is, is being able to adapt, realizing Absolutely. nothing is going to stay the same forever and that there is beauty in all these things. I mean, even, even as my mom, you know, lived with this disease for 30 years, when people hear that, they go, oh, I, and they literally are thinking, yeah. and some will come out and say it, 
oh, they can't live that long. I don't know if I can do that that long. And I've actually had people say that to me, but you can see it physically in their yeah. nonverbals. And yet it, the journey wasn't horrible. Granted, I wouldn't have said, I, I, you know, I wish that upon anyone, No. but there's beauty in every journey and the lessons that you learn to live differently. Um, the, the small moments of joy that you might've not seen before you recognize. And I, I, to me, they, they sear deeper into my soul. I mean, those little teeny things are never going to leave. Um, and, and I think that that shows kind of that power of love. It shows the power of relationships. Isn't just words, even though we kind of pressure people, what's my name, you know, what time is it? When are we going? Uh, Don't do that. Yeah. 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 uh, All all of those types of things. I was just going to say, I agree. And I I've learned recently that those are called glimmers. Mm -hmm. And so the glimmers in our lives, and I just shared recently, my favorite glimmer is catching a sunset. So -hmm. that's something that like really helps me in life. And, you know, so finding the glimmers, finding that smile on your person's face, that's a glimmer you want to remember. And, um, and I know like one of my favorite sayings to say it's, you know, life can still be beautiful after dementia, after a dementia diagnosis, we just might have to look for it a little bit. And just like with any really difficult thing in life, like you said, there are positives and there are things that will come out of it that are going to make us a better person. So we have to focus on those things. And, um, and I know it's not easy to be grateful for these things, but when I talk to caregivers and I know you've, you've heard the same things after their experience, you know, after caregiving, and they say, I'm so grateful for what I've learned. I'm a different person. I didn't know I could be this strong, compassionate, loving patient. And it's a beautiful thing as well. Well, and people with dementia often say, I found a purpose now. I've never had a purpose and they become advocates and Mm -hmm. And that's pretty amazing too, but I do think we all live a better and we live a better life for ourselves and others when we live with a purpose in mind. Absolutely. And, and so some of that purpose for a caregiver, care partner, care, care companion, whatever you want to call yourself, mm-hmm. um, spouse, sibling, you know, child is when you are doing something bigger and greater than just for yourself. Absolutely. Very, Agreed. very powerful. Yeah. So. So let's talk next about Eugeria. This is a new company that a lot of us might not know about. And um, it's very exciting what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to work for you, Jerry. I've been with them since January. I met them at a conference last fall, and they are actually based in Montreal. And um, I am part of the U.S. team. There's uh, three of us in the U.S. that are breaking into the market, and we're growing uh, pretty fast. Um, we're we're going to start growing a lot this coming uh, next couple months. But uh, Eugeria First off, Eugeria means aging well. So we're all about, you know, having the best possible experience as we age. And we know dementia can be a really huge part of um, that time. You know, we're seeing that and those numbers are getting higher. So so Eugeria is a place to find all the dignified dementia products that are the best of the best from all over the world in one place. So we want to be the you know, the, the place that you can count on. So you're not looking at every website, trying to find what's the best product. We only carry the best of the best. And we do extensive um, testing with our Jerry, Jerry, a physician, that's um, our co-founder. And it's just incredible to see how much they've done in Canada and how much they've been able to um, support the dementia community with the products that we have. And so I was 
automatically in love with them. And I was like, how can I be a part of this? And so um, I am currently a care advisor. So I go across our country and I share our innovative products. And specifically, I share two from the Netherlands. And one is the Tofer Toffel, the magic table for dementia care. And the other is Cradle. And this is a, um, a care instrument that is used through, you can make music through touch. And this is for people that are like nonverbal and stage dementia. It's <laughs> truly magical, both of those products. And then I sell um, a bunch of others, but another one that I, I've been really um, excited about is the Hug from the UK, which is a weighted sensory companion with a heartbeat that mimics a hug. And it's very calming and beautiful. But um, but yeah, we're all about dignity in dementia care. And that's what it's about. And um, sharing resources, supports, being, you know, a, we literally have a call line for family caregivers to ask specific questions and to find um, what they need. And they get to talk to actual caregivers that get it. And uh, it's just really special. And I'm excited that my dreams fit within theirs and we're going to change the game for dementia care. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that, that is so needed. I mean, you go to Google and you're just overwhelmed by everything that's out there. But bottom line is you don't even know what to ask for because you don't know what's available. And, oh, no. and, and so, so when, you know, like when you were talking about the magic table, it's like, well, what is the magic table? So why don't you tell people a little bit more of what that is? Yes. Does? Oh my gosh. So I saw the magic table and it was so, I'm so intense because this is, you know, how passionate I am. You feel the same way I know, but I saw them at a conference and it was like, one of the founders was there from Amsterdam. It came from Amsterdam and he was there and I literally just started crying at their booth at this conference. And I was like, this is the future of engagement. And I was like crying. And I did like a 10 minute live video for my Instagram right there, like through the tears. Um, but it, it was just so magical because I'd never seen anything like it. And and it's literally a system that goes into your ceiling in a common area in a, in a memory care community. It hangs from your ceiling and shines down um, lights and through like the really intense lights and lasers and stuff that um, react to your hand movements. And you can play 40 games. So it makes any surface game gameplay. So, um, and there are 40 games right now that are specific to dementia care. So each level, um, of games kind of meets you at a different part in their journey. Um, and it's really for the care staff, um, more so than engagement staff, uh, the activities, because this is a care tool for people that are sundowning for people that are wandering, having a hard time, agitation, um, being able to redirect to this instead of going to a PRN medication is huge. This is um, a wonderful tool. And uh, you and we know with staffing, it's really hard to have someone always engaging to keep, you know, people doing activities. The system does the engaging for you. It breaks through apathy. It's actually seen to do that through their studies. So it breaks through the apathy for you by moving and inviting people in. So you literally can shuffle the games and walk away for 10 hours while it does the work for you. Wow. You know, I, I've seen, I, I haven't seen it in person, but I've seen videos and everyone is laughing and smiling and having yeah. such, and it can be done individually or as a group. I mean, yeah. it, it's pretty cool to see. So that, so that's the magic table. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the cradle, the one that has music that oh you gosh. can create music with. It is magical. I like the table, of course, two magic products right there, magic table, magic care instrument, pretty much. But I, I don't even like know how to describe the cradle to you. That's how like insane it is. Um, but it's this beautifully made um, wooden 
looking football thing. It's like a wooden football almost. And it's called a cradle because you cradle it like a baby and um, two people or even up to like 10 people, but you start with two people touching the um, cradle and then their other hands are going to touch each other's skin and every touch makes a different noise. So you're creating music through touch. And for someone that is not able to verbalize anymore, someone who, you know, can't really express themselves as really apathetic, having the multi-sensory of the music with the touch coinciding with each other breaks through that apathy and is so special. And so they have um, about 15 different soundscapes. So you could literally be like touching their nose and it's the farm sounds and it's like chickens. And then you like rub their hand and it's a purring cat. So you're, you know, any, any skin that is uh, visible, you can touch and make different sounds by with the different touches you make. And you can literally have up to 10 people in a circle doing this, but you have to keep the connection there with at least two people touching the cradle because it works through the energy and like the water in our body. Wow. So like it, it won't work if you're dehydrated. Okay. Isn't okay. that nuts? That's, that's way cool. I had not heard of that one before. So that's oh, really cool. I'll show you, you like, I'll send you a video. They did a study. They're in 17 countries mm-hmm. and the Tobertoffel's in 15. I mean, they're just, I'm so glad that we are getting this in the U.S. It's going to be next level, especially for hospice and music therapy. The cradle is going to be just a huge step up. Okay. Let's talk about the hug then. Yes, the hug. He's so cute. Um, He is this long kind of lanky stuffed animal that hangs over your um, shoulders and has some weight in the, at the end of the hands. And that is going to create a hug like sense, um, feel. And then, uh, so you put that around the person and then you have a box inside of this little stuffed animal and it has a heartbeat that you can turn on. So that heartbeat is really great for relaxation. You see people that just kind of melt into it and then they start to breathe deeply and, and get in sync with that heartbeat. And it's very relaxing. It's been shown to be just you know, next level helpful, um, for sundowning right before sundowning, giving that hug out. Um, especially I've seen it have a, someone with a hug at the Tover before sundowning. And man, that was a powerful combo, uh, to, to completely get, uh, to not even touch sundowning with those two tools. It was really cool, but the hug is really special and you can also put their favorite music on the box inside in an MP3 or even like their loved one's voice if you'd like. And um, it's white so you can see every bit of dirt so they're never cuddling with dirt and you literally take out what's inside and throw it in the wash and it becomes fuzzier every time. It's like really nice and soft. Um, but I just have to say one of my favorite things that this was used for in a memory care home was a woman was moving in and it was her first time sleeping alone for 60 years. So they put her husband's shirt that smelled like him on the hug. They put the heartbeat on and, um, a little heating pad in bed with her. And that was really helpful for the transition. So there's a lot of ways you can utilize the hug to help. You know, it sounds really interesting. I mean, they've had that for puppies all the time to put, to put something with a little heartbeat underneath you know, because they, they miss their mom and stuff. And um, yeah, these are just incredible, incredible products for people. So thanks so much for, for sharing them with Absolutely. us. And, and I look forward to, to learning more about Ugeria and other products that they'll be 
you know, hydrating and stuff as well. Oh, me too. Because at the end of August, we're, we're um, finally going to have our launched e-commerce site in the U S our whole line of products. And we have a ton and really um, the, the products that, you know, are really affordable for family caregivers. Our hope is to help you age in place longer safely. So we have safety products, engagement products, all the things um, because we want to help people stay, stay in their homes longer. So uh, there's a lot of wonderful products for family caregivers as well. Well, and like you said, a lot of these products can be used in community as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like with the magic table music thing. And I mean, you know, with the, what was the music thing called again? The cradle, the The cradle. cradle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, how fun would that be just in a family intergenerational doing that? I could see grandkids and great grandkids just having a hoot with something like that. Yes, the Tobertoffel is the best intergenerational activity for these memory care homes. It helps give the families something to do when they visit and they're not just staring at the TV, not knowing what to say and engage with their loved one anymore. It's really hard. So giving them a place to be where everyone can be themselves at the table. No one fails. There's no negativity. um, It's a safe place to have really great engagement. Oh, wonderful. Well, Carrie, this has just been a great conversation. Yes. You're, you actually helped get rid of my migraine. I think it's all, I think it's all the positive. Uh, hey, I'm so glad. <laughs> so um, we've been talking again with Carrie Elberts, the dementia darling. You can find her all over social media. I would really encourage you to like, click and share this show. Not because I'm a numbers person, because I am far from that, but because other people need and yes. deserve to know about the services that Carrie uh, provides with her Dementia Darling, and also with the company she is representing, Nigeria. I can't wait to see that roll out here in the United States. So be a giver of hope, like, click, and share. It doesn't cost you any money. It takes very little time, and boy, you can make a big impact. And, you know, that's how we we shift our dementia culture is by sharing the knowledge that we've learned. You can find Carrie on Instagram as Dementia Darling. You can find her on Facebook as well and TikTok. And then, of course, her website is DementiaDarling.com. Did you want to give out a website for Eugeria or are they not formally launched yet? No, yeah, you can head over to Eugeria.care and Eugeria is E-U-E-R-G-I-A.care. And we do have a site for Canada and that's Eugeria.ca. Okay. Well, Carrie, keep up the wonderful work. We're going to keep our eye close on you. You're doing wonderful things and really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Lori. I'm so excited. And thank you caregivers that are listening for all that you do. You inspire me and I appreciate you. And if no one's ever told you today, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's time to rethink, renew and reimagine retirement. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.